enjoyed that song last week and this week. It's one that I think God has sent to us right on time. And I love the storytelling that the team did with this. I mean, if you're here today and you would say, you know what, that, that beginning video, that kind of tugs on my heart a little bit. I feel like I might be that person just kind of wandering around. I, I don't know really even maybe why I'm here today or what you're expecting get out, to get out of this today. And, and you're just thinking, man, I just feel like I'm in a dark place. I feel just empty inside. And maybe you just feel like you just feel dead. And I tell you, we serve a God who specializes in resurrection. And he says, come on, my arms are open wide. You can come today, no matter where, what your background is, what you're coming from, what you're in the middle of, no matter how difficult your circumstances are, you are invited by this great God. Love that. I love that. It's good to see everybody. How you doing? Everybody doing good? Man, we've, we started a new, new series last week called Revive. Pastor Brian gave a great, great message on prayer. If you weren't here because you were at the beach or you were at Disney World, welcome back home. Feels like on Facebook at fall break, everyone leaves Northwest Atlanta and uh, that's okay. But uh, we welcome you back. But I'll just tell you, if you were gone, I'd love for you to go and listen to that message on prayer. I think it'll be a huge blessing in your life as Pastor Brian just challenges every single one of us to be intent, to be zealous, to go after it with everything we've got. And as we've been challenged over this last couple of weeks, that we believe that God is bringing us into a season of, of revival. Or we're seeking God, maybe even to begin something that we don't see the, the end result from or the payoff from, if there, if there is one, for years and years to come. But we're believing that God wants to do a work, unique, unlike anything that he's done before. And we believe that it begins with each one of us individually. I love what Pastor Brian said last week as he quoted Charles Finney who said this, if you are interested in starting revival, draw a circle on the ground, step inside and pray, Lord, bring a revival in this circle. It's the starting point. It's where you have to begin for there to be an awakening in your life. Listen, when something is revived, it is restored to consciousness. It's awakened. It's returned to a vibrancy that used to exist. It may involve new life. It may involve new energy altogether. If you were here and you would say, my life needs something fresh. It needs something new, a refreshing of my, my purpose or new passion in my marriage or joy or peace in my home, whatever it is, then you're saying, I need revival. I need an awakening in my life. I mean, I grew up going to revivals. And one side of my family, there was kind of the Baptist church that went to the revival and they all kind of stayed inside, but we went, you know, night after night, you know, five days a week or seven days a week, or it was like a month long. I don't know what it was. We just kept, I just knew as a kid, I just had to go to church every night. Like I, you know, it was getting a little unfair after a while. And then my, my other family, Southwest Virginia, Pentecostals, like big white tent outside. I'm scared of snakes because of things that happen in the tent. I mean, I don't know what you think about when you think about revival, revival, but we're talking about an awakening that begins with us, begins with you, begins in your heart, it begins in your home, it begins in your family, a season where God is waking up those who once were dead or waking up those who have been sleeping for so long and are missing something from him right now. I'm the, I'm the waker-upper in our house. You know what I mean? Like when I was a kid, and by the way, when I wake people up, when I wake up my family, I am determined to undo the sins of my parents and how they woke me up, okay? 
And what I mean by that is I don't always remember how my dad and my stepmom, how they woke me up. When I was with my mom, I remember distinctly how she woke me up. And my mom's single mom, having to go to work, having to do the things. She needs me to get up and, and get going, right? And so I would just sleep right through the alarm. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't phase me. And so what I did not realize was that the light over my bed in the morning, somehow it turns into a floodlight. And so my mom would just walk in, you know, the alarm's probably still going off, or maybe I hit the snooze or, or threw it across the room or something. And then mom walks in, flips the light on, and it's startling. It's like, it feels like it's one of those big spotlights. Like, this is wrong. Don't do this to your children. So I'm the, I'm the waker-upper in my house, and I'm determined to do this a little differently. So, you know, the alarm goes off in our bedroom, and it's like this little alarm we got at, at Walmart for like $6, like, 10 years ago. It still works. It's amazing. I've never changed the battery. It's awesome. And so we're just, you know, got, got this little deal. And then, you know, just lean over to my wife because I, I want to start the day off right. I don't want to, you know, do anything to get off on the wrong foot. Just a little on the shoulder, honey, sweetie, it's time to wake up, you know. <laughs> then I get up and I walk down the hall to my boys' rooms. Now, we all, all of us in every room of the house, if you are sleeping in any room in our house, there's, there's going to be a fan. Like one, not just the overhead fan, but like the a noisemaker, like something with white noise around. Any of, you, any of you sleep to like some kind of noise? Some of you go to sleep with like Seinfeld or Friends or your favorite sitcom on and you just fall asleep and you wake up in the morning, something else is going on. But you, you fall asleep to TV. We fall asleep to like noise in the background, okay? Just ambient noise, white noise in the background. And so I go into my kids' rooms and one by one and I just, first thing I do is I turn the fan off, right? And they just begin to rustle. You know, they're, they're cute when they're sleeping, right? They're 12 and 10. They hate that I say that, but they're still cute when they're sleeping. They're boys. Um, it's, you know, one of the few times they're still cute. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but you turn the fan off, and that rustling just means, leave me alone, man. I'm not supposed to be awake yet, you know, right? But the thing that wakes them up is the thing that woke me up. It's light. I just don't do it in the evil way that my mother did. I'll go to the bathroom and I'll just, I'll flip that light on, not the spotlight over their bed, but rather the, the bathroom light. And I'll just crack the door and make sure it just shines on their face because that's what it takes, right? Just shines on their face just a little bit. And that light shining just begins to wake them up. And here we are coming onto the scene with Jesus, with his first message, his central message. And the people of God feel like they have not heard from him. In fact, they haven't heard from him for over 400 years. And they are needing something to pull them out of darkness and into the marvelous light of God. And how are they going to get there? I believe there is a very clear door to walk through in order to experience the life of God. And it starts right away with Jesus' first cousin, John the Baptist, who was this messenger who was to come along and, and kind of break down the gate and get everybody else ready for, for the Savior to come. And so he comes along and he has this message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then we find Jesus coming along after him. And he's actually baptized by John the Baptist, his first cousin. And, and when he comes up out of the water and he begins... His first message, his first teaching, he had this, uh, this same theme, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's an announcement. Something new is starting. There's a, there's a change in direction. And Jesus is linking repentance with the Christian life. 
See, when some of you hear kingdom of heaven, you may be thinking of that city far off that's coming one day or maybe where loved ones are with God right now, but that's not typically what Jesus was talking about. In in fact, normally in the New Testament and most of Jesus' teachings, he's not talking about somewhere that is holy future, even though that is something that's coming. We put our hope in that. But when Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's talking about the life of God is available to every single one of us right now. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's, it's on top of you. It's near you. It's all over you. It's all over you. It's available to you. It's a treasure in one parable Jesus tells. It's a treasure that we should drop everything else and go find. It's a seed that if nurtured properly grows inside of us and can grow all over and take over your life. Repent for the kingdom of heaven. It's at hand. The abundant life of God is available to you right now. And I can tell you, if you want revival in your life, here's what you, here's what I believe. If you're going to step into this circle and pray and say, God, I'm not leaving this circle until you begin revival in my heart, till you begin an awakening in my heart. Here's what I believe. I believe you're not leaving the circle until something has been repented of. In order, anything that needs awakening requires repentance. Anything that needs awakening requires repentance. A marriage that needs awakening, a relationship that needs an awakening, whatever it is, anything that needs awakening requires repentance. Now, the word repentance in a first century Jewish audience, they would have heard it in a particular way and would have thought some particular things. They would have perhaps heard the word shuv. The Hebrew word for repent is shuv, S-H-U-V. It means to turn or to return. It's very similar to our word revive. It's used all throughout the Old Testament. Here are a few examples. Second Chronicles 7 verse 14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn, there's the word, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Joel chapter 2, verse 13, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Deuteronomy chapter 30, and you need to read all of Deuteronomy 30 in your small group this week. It's beautiful. It's one of my favorites. But Deuteronomy 30, verse 2 says, return. There's the word again. Return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul. Listen, the word for repentance is not used as condemnation. It's used as invitation. It's not condemnation, it's invitation. It's used for invitation to a God who desires to bring healing and grace and mercy in his people. The message in the scriptures is never turn or burn. The message in the scriptures is turn and live. Turn and experience the presence and the abundant life journey of following God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And when the message of Jesus comes onto the scene, when Jesus himself comes onto the scene, repentance is a message of hope. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Something new is on the scene. Something new has arrived. Hope that God's plan is finally unfolding. Hope in deliverance. Hope that the promise of God has arrived. The one who would be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. He is here. He is Emmanuel, God with us. In fact, when Matthew is writing this down, he adds another little nugget from the book of Isaiah. He says, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. 
And for those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. They have the opportunity to be awakened because now there is light. The light of the world has come. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. I mean, if you've ever heard a message before that made a message particularly on repentance that made you feel like you should just go back home and crawl in the hole that you came out of before you came to church today, can I just tell you, that's not the message of repentance from scripture. The message of repentance is a message to, of invitation for hope and life to the full. It's not condemnation, it's invitation. Oswald Chambers says in my utmost for his highest, repentance is the bedrock of Christianity. So Jesus is speaking this, this message He was probably speaking in in Aramaic, the common language of the day, a way for most people to to understand what he was saying. But in the synagogues, the rabbis were teaching repentance with a word that I I like because of the picture that goes with it. It's the word teshuva. It's got that word shuv right in the middle of it. And oftentimes there are pictures with Hebrew words. When the Hebrews would talk about life itself, they would talk about basically going for a walk. Living is walking We call it around here in our mission statement as a church, we call it a journey, right? The abundant life journey. You see this all throughout the Old Testament. Words like Abraham walked with God, Enoch walked with God. And so when you have this term repentance, there's a picture that goes with it. The picture is of someone walking in one direction and then something stops them, something gets their attention, a message that they hear, a circumstance, and they decide they're going to repent, they're going to turn and go in a different direction. Perhaps some would have taught it this way, for in your life, are you walking away from God or to God? You can't be going in both directions at the same time, right? So if you're walking away from God, if you would repent today and turn and walk to God, that's the, that's the picture of it. A change has happened, a change from from pride to humility, from perhaps hoarding and being fearful to generous or from vengeance or revenge on someone to one of mercy and grace. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's an announcement of a change of direction. From slavery to freedom, from law to grace. And to repent is a simple and beautiful picture. But the meaning of it carries so much more than just what the picture itself infers, particularly the way it's used by Peter and Paul, who wrote quite a bit of the New Testament. In Acts chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is giving, excuse me, the Apostle Peter is giving a sermon to the people of Israel to explain to them that Jesus was actually the Messiah that they had been hoping for, that he was the plan, that he was the Savior of the world, and that they crucified him. And he continues to give the message. And he says, you crucified this Jesus. You crucified God's plan. But it's okay because we've understood that that was part of God's plan. And God has raised him from the dead. And he pointed out their faults about what they believed and what they didn't believe in Jesus. And so in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, it says this. Peter said to them, here's that word again. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. A few days later, God allowed Peter and John to speak again. And this particular time before they spoke, they're walking through town and they they heal a man that everyone knows is is lame. He's been lame for quite a long time, perhaps since birth. I'm not sure, but in this moment, God has given Peter the power to raise him up, to heal him. 
And now he's an incredible sermon illustration. And throughout Peter's message in Acts chapter 3, you get this idea that this man who was lame, who now is walking, is just kind of standing up there. That's quite an illustration, right? And you're used to walking by someone who, who can't walk, and now here he is standing in front of everybody. And then here's what Peter says. Now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he has fulfilled. Repent, therefore, there's that word again, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Christ appointed for you, Jesus. This is an amazing passage to me. This whole message that Peter's giving is amazing to me. Say, what's amazing about it? Because he's talking to the people who killed Jesus, the people who actually physically in that moment rejected him. I mean, how awful do you feel like your circumstance is today? How unworthy do you feel today? How awful do you think your sins are today? I can tell you, you weren't there in that place to be part of the crowd who actually yelled crucify him or to be one of the people who actually helped put Jesus on that cross. And Peter, at the end of this passage, says, even though you were those people, Christ has been appointed for you. He's been given back to you, to the ones of you that killed him. No matter how dark and awful your sin is today, God extends his son back to you and says, you messed up, but I fixed it. The work is done. The saving work is done. And then Peter would go on to say in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Must be saved. But it's an invitation. You don't come to the Father any other way except through Jesus. Peter and Paul, as you'll see in a few moments, are using a particular word when they talk about repentance. They're saying you need to not just go in a different direction, although that's a good picture, but you need to change your mind. The Greek word is metanoia. Repentance is more than just a general change of direction. It involves a change of mind. It requires a change in thinking. And if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have to change your mind and put all of your faith and trust in him. Repentance is the door through which we have to enter. When a man tries to buy his way into the kingdom of God, buy his salvation, to buy the ability to heal people, in Acts chapter 8, Peter says that's, that's not what's going on here. That's not even possible. In Acts chapter 8, verse 22, he says, Repent of that thought. Repent of thinking you can buy your way in. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. Later on, when the apostle Paul is speaking to the intellectuals, to the people who really believe they can come up with other ways of getting to God, the people in, in Athens, and they're worshiping all kinds of other gods. They're, they've got some ideas about science. This is one of the intellectual centers of the world. And I love what Paul says, the times of ignorance, kind of a funny word to use with these people, the times of ignorance God has overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent, to change your Mind. I know you think you've got this figured out. I know you think maybe this religion stuff, this Jesus stuff is not for you and it's just maybe superstition or hocus pocus to you. And the Apostle Paul says, listen, God is giving you the opportunity to change your mind about that. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The life of God is to be experienced now. 
What is the kingdom of heaven? It's wherever God is in charge. Wherever God is ruling. And if there's an area of your life or perhaps in your life or in your family, in your home, in your job, if there's an area where he's not in charge, you'll find all kinds of different things to fill that space. You'll find apathy. You'll find a listlessness or just a lack of purpose in your life. Certainly a lack of eternal purpose, a lack of hope, lack of peace. I wonder if anyone would say, you know what, from time to time, that's my circumstance. I don't have peace. I I don't have hope. I just feel like my life, I'm just trudging through the mud. I need something. Anything that needs awakening requires repentance. Charles Spurgeon writes this. He says, repentance is a discovery of the evil of sin, a mourning that we have committed it, a resolution to forsake it. It is, in fact, a change of mind of a very deep and practical character which makes the man love what once he hated and hate what once he loved. If there is something in your life, an area where you're missing the mark of God, an area where you're committing sin knowingly and Continually, Maybe it's an area of addiction or whatever it is. The opportunity is to repent, to leave that stuff behind and experience and to know the life of God. Set that stuff aside and let God fill your heart, fill that space to shine light into that darkness. John Piper writes this. He says, repenting means experiencing a change of mind that now sees God as true and beautiful and worthy of all of our praise and obedience. I love that definition. It's the skeptic to the atheist, the perhaps self-proclaimed agnostic who, like the people of Athens, just thought it was all a big lie. You're invited to change your mind and change your mind and put all your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And then when you do that, it'll change your behavior, change the direction of your life. The person's been messed up in the nastiest and darkest of lifestyles. Anyone can come. You're invited to change your mind in such a way that it changes your behavior, pulls you out of that life, changes the direction of your life. Maybe you've been self-destructive. Maybe you've hurt others, including the ones that you love the most. I can tell you that God will not begrudge you. He always, he always gives forgiveness for those that come to him in repentance. To the person who's just let anything and everything else distract you and keep you from living a life where Jesus is preeminent, you're invited to be awakened. Invited to be awakened to all the things that you've allowed to interrupt your life and to lay those things aside and put your focus entirely back on him. You may be at the absolute end of yourself. He specializes in that. I love what Eugene Peterson says in the message in Matthew chapter 5. He says, blessed are you, the end of the Beatitudes. Blessed are you when you're at the end of your rope. Anything that needs awakening requires repentance. You see, this is important because some people come to church just as a way of starting a new activity in their life. They think that's going to fix it. You know, they, they realize, perhaps you realize that Something's going on and, and it's not the life that you feel like you should have in God. Maybe you know there's something in your life that's between you and him, whatever it is. And so you're here, maybe even today, just to add a little Jesus in. Hoping that if I just add a little Jesus in, that'll, that'll at least lift my spirits for a while. At least make things a little bit better, right? 
Yesterday we were at one of the apple farms in North Georgia. Do you ever do this? You go to the apple farm and uh, there's so much apple goodness. Man, a good fried pie, apple fritter, praise Jesus. I, I mean, it's just, it's good stuff. And they, they give you these bags. Well, they don't give you the bags. They sell you the bags, right? Where you can pick the apples yourself. And so I'm kind of a thrifty fella. And so I asked them how much for the big bag. And, you know, that's $250. And it's not really. But the, uh, you know, whatever it was, it seemed like a lot of money. And so I, so how much for the small bags? And I, I think the small bags were like $6. And I said, okay, we'll do two of those. So one for my wife and my youngest son, Wesley, and then Will and I, my oldest son, we're going to go pick some apples. And, you know, we're having this beautiful North Georgia fall day. It wasn't raining in Blue Ridge. I know it's rained here for, you know, like 48 hours. I don't know who's praying in Blue Ridge, but I need to ask them to pray for me because the sky was just blue all over the place. So we're walking through, and, and I, here's the thing. This is important. Dad puts the apples in the bag because I had asked them, okay, how many apples will I get in the bag for my $6? And they said, 10. Well, that's just a dare. I mean, that's like, that's a challenge. 10 apples. Come on. I can put 10 apples in my pants pocket. Are you kidding me? I mean, let's, let's do this thing. So here's the deal. You guys can pick the apples, my kids, my lovely wife. You guys pick the apples. I'll take the pictures. You guys look awesome. It'll be sweet, Facebook worthy, Instagram worthy pictures, North Georgia picking apples, but I get to put them in the bag because I'm going to take care of this bag. Granny Smith, you put Granny in the bag, and with every apple, every apple serves a purpose, right? You just stretch the bag a little bit more. Just stretch and stretch and stretch. So I have my bag. I'm stretching it out pretty good. And even, you know, even once you get the you know, two-handle bag, you get the handles on top, you got a little space there, you can just balance them right on top. But, you know, I mean, you can just pile apples up. Well, my wife had her bag. And her bag looked adequate, you know. The bag is fine. I felt like she could do better. And I had my bag. And we're standing in line waiting for the tractor, whatever it is, uh, to pull us back to, the, to get to our cars. And there's more apples, you know, along the way. There's more apple trees. I'm like, I mean, I'm balancing apples on top. I'm looking around. I got more space in this bag. And so I say to my boys, get, get a couple more. We're going we're gonna to make this work. And my sons are both going, Dad, you cannot put any more apples in that bag. I'm going, watch me. Just get the apples. Obey, son. Get the apples, okay? Get the big one. Get the big one that, that the wicked queen gave to Snow White. That one right there. That's the one I want. And so we got, and I, and I start, I'm going to get this other apple in this bag. And I'm squeezing, and I'm squeezing. And this bag is crying out for mercy. I mean, truly singing to me and saying bad things. And then I just push down and then suddenly there's just this rip. Now, it didn't rip all the way, okay? But it ripped enough that then for the rest of the time, I had to kind of hold it from the bottom and hug it to myself. And I got home with more than 10 apples in each bag. I want you to know that, all right? Plus the two that we ate while we were out there. And I just apples are falling all over the place while I'm trying to walk out. And then you have to get up on the tractor while I'm trying to hold this little miniature bag of apples. And apples are falling. I'm like, pick that one up. Pick that one up too. Well, that one wasn't in the bag. It doesn't matter. Pick it up. Put it, hang on. Just bring it over here. I mean, I'm leaving here with my money's worth, right? As ridiculous as that sounds, can I tell you, that's what some people try to do with Jesus. Just add him to the bag. 
Just add him to the bag of your life that you feel like is already ripping apart anyway. And can I tell you, we need to just pour everything else out and make it only him. Make it only him. Some people come to church just to begin a new activity in their life. Many people come during seasons of change, like the new school year or the new calendar year. We come during those times, we're reminded there's a God-shaped hole inside every single one of us that only he can fill. He put it there. Ecclesiastes 3 tells us that. But he wants to fill it with himself and nothing else. Some of you have come to church today. You're in a, you're in a difficult season. You're in a season, maybe you're going through a divorce. Maybe, you're, maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you've lost a job. And you're thinking, if I can just add a little Jesus to my life, it's bound to lift me up just a little bit. And this idea that if I can just add a new behavior to my life and everything will be better is tremendously dangerous in my opinion. It's a hugely dangerous mindset. I can't emphasize it enough. Because particularly in this part of the world, particularly in this area of the country, I believe, there are a lot of people who grow up with the idea that going to church is just a good thing. It is. It's a good thing. Getting baptized is a good thing. Volunteering in the church is a good thing. Giving a little money to the church is a good thing. And it just feels like the right thing to do. And I hear some people say it just makes them feel good. It makes them happy. Listen, some of you were just born into good behavior. Some of you not. You know who you are. But some of you were just born into good behavior. And you were born into just good church traditions. But there is a lie that all of those good behaviors will help us rack up enough points so that God is pleased. And that's not what Jesus is talking about. He doesn't want to add something to your life. He wants to give you his abundant life whole and completely. And it only comes when we put our faith and trust completely in him. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Not repent so things can get a little bit better, but repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The life of God is available to you, but it's found only in him. Romans chapter 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Listen, for life to come, for the kingdom of God to come, for someone to be awakened, there has to be repentance and repentance comes through confession. Jesus is not just something we add to the mix. I love how the message paraphrase gives these scriptures. It says, you're not doing anything. You're simply calling out to God, trusting him to do it for you. That salvation with your whole being, you embrace God setting things right. And then you say it right out loud. God has set everything right between him and me. Then the spirit of God lives within you. The kingdom of God is planted in your life and you are wide awake. You never lose that standing as a child of God. From the moment you put your faith and trust in him, your eternal salvation is secure. But here's the issue. I know that there are a lot of people here today that you would say you did that. You did it at one point in your life. You know your eternity is secure. You believe that Jesus is God's only son who suffered and died and risen from the dead for you. However, you're not experiencing the kingdom of God in your life. You're not experiencing the abundant life journey. What happened? In 1517, when a 33-year-old theologian named Martin Luther 
nailed 95 thesis statements to the door of a nearby church, he inadvertently started what we call the Reformation. All he really wanted to do was start a debate. I mean, some of you would have really enjoyed this. I'm not sure he and I would have gotten along, to be honest. But some of you that just want to debate everything, this was your guy. Okay? 95 things I want to debate, Martin Luther. That's what the 95 thesis statements were. But the first one is huge. And I completely agree with him on this. Here's what it says. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent... He intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. I've talked with people today, I've talked with people before today who have said, who've talked with me about repentance before and they've said, I've repented, I've tried laying it down before and I feel like it just keeps coming back. I feel like I can't get over whatever this is. Can I tell you, repentance should be continually a part of the believer's life. Forgiveness should be continually a part of the believer's life. All of the Christian life is repentance. Turning from sin and trusting in the good news that Jesus saved sinners aren't merely a one-time inaugural experience, but they are the daily substance of Christianity. The gospel is for every day and every moment. Repentance is to be the Christian's continual posture. Anything that needs awakening requires repentance. And the door that walks through repentance is one of confession, not merely admission. It's easy to admit when you've done something wrong, right? I mean, it's easy to admit, hey, our marriage is not the best. Yeah. Hey, my prayer life's not the best. My whatever, fill in the blank. My life's not the best. I know that. I hear that kind of Admission from time to time. But admission is not confession. And it doesn't lead to repentance. Picture this, since we're in the South and a lot of you follow college football. Here's the deal. Imagine your coach. The end of the game and you guys have lost. I'm sorry. Georgia Tech fans, whoever you are. And you've lost today. And the coach gets up at the end of the game and he goes, yeah, yeah, I could have done a couple things differently. This is what they all do, by the way. I, you know, I could have done that different or that. You know. I admit that wasn't the best play call. <laughs> wouldn't it be a whole lot better, and wouldn't you like your coach more, if instead of admission, you got confession? For the love of God and all of our fans... I want you to know we should have run the ball. We shouldn't have tried to throw it. We'd be Super Bowl champions. I mean, whatever it is, like it should not have happened that way. I'm so sorry. I'm distraught. I'm never going to let it happen again. I have learned my lesson. This is not going to happen. When you confess, you are owning it. You're owning your sin. You're owning that you have been part of the problem, and now you're going to move towards the solution. Listen, God always receives sincere repentance. He doesn't turn anyone away. The person who earnestly repents with heart and soul and asks for forgiveness is immediately reconnected with God. I love what one author says. It's as if a light switch is flipped and where there was darkness, the room blazes with light. At the moment of repentance, the person stands in the very presence of God. 
See, the enemy tells some of you, God will never forgive you again. How dare you ask him for forgiveness? You've already been down this road. It didn't work. He could never forgive a person like you again. He could, he could never bring life to you again. You've walked away too many times. You've gone stagnant, apathetic too many times. Can I tell you something? Repentance should point us to an incredible understanding that God is still extending love to us even in the moments where we have completely forgotten him or we've made it seem like we care nothing about him. His love is still there. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His love is always extended to us. To believers in the book of Revelation, the beginning of the book of Revelation, there are seven churches. So we take these messages that the Apostle John wrote down as messages to the church, to the believing church, to those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And John is caught up in a vision, and Jesus himself is talking. And here's what Jesus says to the church. Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, he says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Revelation chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, wake up and wake up. I love that. Wake up, be awake and be revived today and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. Revelation 3.19, to those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. And then to believers, not a salvation verse, but to believers, Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. It's his message to believers who have fallen away, who've given up or who have stopped believing that he came that they might have life, who've stopped believing that they could actually experience the life of God, the kingdom of God in their every day. The message of Jesus to his people is repent. Turn from sin and repent. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I love what Andrew Murray says. He says, God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life wholly yielded to him. Anything that needs awakening requires repentance. Perhaps this last week, you heard Pastor Brian's talk, or maybe you've heard a little bit of it today, and the things I referred back to, and maybe, you're, maybe you've said, maybe you've purposed in your heart, I'm stepping into the circle. I want revival to come to me. I want my life to be awakened. I want God to matter in my life more than he ever has before. I want something different. So I'm going to another level. I'm in the circle. I'm not leaving the circle until I'm awakened, until revival comes to this place. Can I tell you today, you will not leave the circle without repentance. Not if you want revival. Not if you want to be awakened. You will not leave the circle without repentance. Maybe it's just repenting, sincerely confessing to God, God, I've filled up my life with so many things other than you. Maybe there is a sin issue. Maybe there's something you really need to turn away from that's blocked the path between you and he. Maybe it's just, it's kept you apart. Maybe it's an addiction, whatever it is. You can repent today. Begin a life of repentance over and over and over again and find freedom from that and be awakened to new life. If you're here today, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. 
I invite you to do that for the first time. And then a life of repentance and a life full of the kingdom of God after that. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Today, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I want to invite you right now. I want to invite you right now to repent. Let the kingdom of God be at hand in your life. Say, God, today, I've heard this before, I haven't heard it before, whatever the case may be, but God, today, put my faith and trust in your only son, Jesus, that you sent him to this world to die on the cross for my sins. The work is complete. And you raised him up from the dead that I might have life eternal and life right now to the full. I put my faith and trust in that today. Holy God, would you come into my life?